soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. We come to chapter 21, verse 1, and we read this. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, this is her quote, this is her quote, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age. Isaac means laughter. And God chose the name for Isaac. So it's one thing for Sarah to say, wow, she laughed and I'm going to laugh, you're going to laugh, everyone's going to laugh, and who could even believe that me, barren, past menstrual cycle, menopause, all those things, it's just totally, apart from impossibilities of God working in the miraculous, there's no way I can have these children. So who would have thought that I'd be nursing a child at 90 and that Abraham would have a son at 90? The son of promise, not Ishmael, which we've covered, of course, in detail previously. So here is the son of promise, Isaac, and it's laughter. He mean, his name means laughter, and she says, all those are going to laugh, and they're going to laugh with me. There's a joy level in the Lord. There's, a, there's an abundant life in the Lord that God wants us to have, and I think it's so important as far as of Christ that our disposition is one uh, that really the glass is half full. In other words, and really, as Danny even was praying, that the Spirit's overflowing from us, not just indwelling us, but overflowing. Not just being filled with the Spirit, but overflowing with the Spirit, like Jesus said in the Gospel of John, torrents of living water overflowing. I believe when people have a true conversion with faith in Jesus Christ, their disposition, no matter how it was prior to their coming to Christ, will shift toward a more optimistic positive perspective, not for the possibility of positive thinking like Norman Vincent Peale or something like that, or Zig Ziglar, Think and Grow Rich or something like that. I don't even know those books are around anymore, but it was always like positive, positive, like that way. No, no, no. We're talking about a disposition of joy and optimism because of the promises of God and the faithfulness of God to his people. And we've been talking about how God's promises from Genesis to Revelation have a universal application to believers. In other words, when we give our life to Christ and we're born again to the Holy Spirit, we pass from death to life, we become a new creation, that we have all these promises equally. In that sense, it's like the estate or a trust where everyone has an equal ownership. In other words, it's not like, and I've mentioned this recently, but like say, for example, Harvest Crusade, the 30th anniversary at Anaheim there, Anaheim, the big A. 
I drove by there going up to Samaritan's person. I thought, wow, all those people here, 30 years of the Harvest Crusade. But let's take Saturday night when all the people came forward, thousands, in making decisions. And those that were born of the Spirit of God, born again, that moment as they received Christ, or we can even say when, the, uh, when they do the children's discipleship, with Operation Shoebox, because they give the boxes and they do like a follow-up discipleship, The Greatest Journey. I did my journey. I did got my coloring book. I still have it at home when I was up there. And they graduate. So when those kids graduate and they, they get their sort of certification of finishing the Samaritan's Purse thing, they, that they have a confession of faith and there's baptisms and different things based upon the cultures where the people are at and how they do it. So let's say X amount of kids truly were born again of the Spirit through the greatest journey with Samaritan's Purse in Morovia, which is the video we watched, an amazing video, a little two-minute video. Or the Harvest Crusade, people going forward of all ages. The promises were equal for everybody. There's an equality of the promises. No one, no one with a shoebox has any greater promise than someone else with a shoebox. They might have slightly better gifts in their shoebox than the other shoebox, but the promises of God by which they're motivated in being sent to them, the promises are equal. Now, we have different sets of gifts for different purposes. Don't confuse that. Greg Glory has an equipping to fill stadiums. And he, he can fight the spiritual battle that goes with it. He can keep his wits when it's chaos all around him. And he's equipped to do it. Pastor Chuck had an equipping to be an incredible pastor and like an apostle of thousands of churches. But he'd be the first to tell you when he's here, he did not have the equipping to be an evangelist. So he brought in different people on Monday nights Randy Ziegler and others to be the evangelist on Monday nights. That's what he did. So the gift dispersion is like two minus, five minus, or one minus. The gift dispersion can vary from person to person. But don't confuse that with the promises of God. Because the promises of God are equal. It's very important to understand. But then we talked about last week how they become personal for us. And of course, for Sarah, it's personal that she's going to nurse a child at 90. So much joy. God's heart is to bless. God's heart is joy. God's heart is to build up and to encourage. Now, we have tribulation, the human experience, that will test us, and it prepares us for the next dimension. But we know that the joy of the Lord is not subject to external experiences or what's going on in my body or in my world. The joy of the Lord supersedes and trumps as the highest authority over everything else that goes on in our life. It's like Romans 8 says, what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Famine, peril, sword, no. So here in this chapter 21, we see the promise, the promises, really a promise that took on all these kaleidoscope variations and all brought back to Sarah's world with the child Isaac fulfilled. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, we're told concerning God and his promises, and I've mentioned this verse a couple of times, but I'll mention it again. But God swears by himself because we make an, a promise based upon an oath. So like in a court of law, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God? And so the hand on the Bible. There is an oath to establish the credibility. We talked about being established a couple weeks ago and what that means, that a promise is established, that God is, with the covenant of the rainbow, that God established the covenant, we talked about a business being established, the longer it is, the more credible it is. In particular with this promise, because this promise is the gateway to Jesus Christ coming to be our Savior on planet Earth and dying on the cross for our sins. This promise is directly connected to our salvation in Jesus Christ. 
It's very important to understand that. This is the shadow of things to come, but this is the way the king is coming. There in Hebrews, God says that he swears by himself, which is really interesting. But concerning Abraham, it says he swore by himself that he would do this. God never lies. God has lied to him as no darkness at all. So the New Testament, looking back on this again, tells us that he swears by himself because his word is golden. It's the integrity of his word. We, we know certain men and women whose word is very uh, valid and credible. Like it tells us, you know, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Jesus taught that in the Sermon on the Mount. The book of James tells us that. But the Lord's word is absolute, and we can build everything of our life upon his promises. For he swears by himself, and there's no greater entity that one could swear by. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? The Lord swears by himself that we would know and trust him and his promises because it's he who is promising it. And he, he promises, and the story of this is the proof of his promises. The New Testament tells us that you can always trust his word and that you know he's always going to want to comfort us and minister to us based upon his promises. It's very important. So now that the promise is fulfilled, a couple of things we can take note tonight. We see here in verse 1 and 2 where he says at the set time. Now, we've talked about God keeping his word, but this is a set time. This gets my attention, and I think it's worth noting. It's very important to us. He says here at the set time which God has spoken. So we see that, you know, he did just as he said he would. He did just as he has spoken in verse 1. But it says she conceived and bore the son in Abraham's old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. We've touched on this, but we've not made it a key point in our journey through these, this promise these last few weeks. But God's timing is always right on time with his promises. Again, universally, we know that he makes promises in the human experience that are immutable and unchangeable. The coming of Jesus Christ. All those prophecies, all those prophecies, timing is exactly right. With the prophecy of Daniel, we know it's 490 years till Messiah is cut off. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day on the cult of a donkey, he said, if you'd only known this your day, it was to the exact day of a prophecy from 500 years prior, from the decree of the temple to be rebuilt. Centuries before, you could count the day on their calendar and know that the day Jesus came to Jerusalem on the donkey's colt, the only day he really accepted public accolade and praise for who he is as the Messiah, was exactly the day that the prophet Daniel spoke it would be. Exactly. Now, in Galatians, we're told that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law. That is, God's law, which we can't save ourselves by keeping it. So we're told by the Holy Spirit that of all the, you know, Jesus came at the perfect time. When I first went in the ministry, Brian Broderson gave me the book, Bible Almanac. I've shared this a few times. And I read an encyclopedia. Basically what I did, just an encyclopedia Bible stuff, Bible Almanac. It's not in print anymore. But it talked about this in the fullness of time. And it had a couple uh, chapters devoted to understanding that when Jesus came at his exact perfect time, from the Roman conquest, the Roman roads that would open the way for the apostles to take the gospel to the world in one generation, 
And it really puts forth how the world was totally prepared and ready geopolitically and all those things for Jesus Christ to come. The night he was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem was the perfect time by God's timing for the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, come in the world. It was perfect timing in the fullness of time. Now, we already saw early on in Genesis where God said, your children are going to be descendants, are going to be slaves for centuries, but then they'll come to this promised land. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So even the deliverance of the Hebrews, the Jews, out of their slavery in Egypt had a perfect timing where it was a time for them to be a nation and come into the land, and it was the perfect time for judgment upon the people who had been given over to their sins in the land. So we see his perfect timing in judgment. We see his perfect timing in deliverance for nations and people. We see his perfect timing for Jesus coming. We see his perfect timing for coming into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey to the day. And the last example I'll give you is when Lazarus died and they sent messengers to Jesus and he said, okay, well, we'll, we'll be there. And, and when he got there, both Mary and Martha said, if you'd only been here yesterday, essentially, if you'd only been on time. And what to me is fascinating about John chapter 11 and that story is I think that's something we all relate to. Where we say, Lord, if you'd only... Man, what are you waiting for? Why aren't you moving on this? Why aren't you answering this prayer right now? Why don't we have this baby? It's been two decades. How long are you going to make us wait for the son of promise? And we can lose heart sometimes with God's timing. And we can be like Mary and Martha and just say, in our grief, in our heartaches, and say, Lord, if you'd only been on time. But Jesus was on time. Jesus is always on time. Driving to Charlottesville, Virginia in 1988 with my wife Jennifer when she was pregnant with Jesse. We'd gone back to Virginia to be on the 700 Club. Skip Isaac from Albuquerque met us there. And because I'd lived in Charlottesville where University of Virginia is, we were going to go visit there. So Jennifer and I were driving. It was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget going through Richmond and listening to Bible teaching and there's no Bible teaching quite like on the radio in the South. I mean, it's, it's Bible preaching. It's good old fundamental Bible preaching. And I'll never forget that message. Driving through Richmond on this 64 beltway that goes around Richmond. And this preacher from the South kept saying, God is always right on time. And he gave all the examples in the human experience. We can say, God, why weren't you here? Why didn't you come in time here? God is always on time. And this text tells us tonight and affirms us and reminds us tonight that God's timing is always right on time for the right job, for the right place to live, for the right roommates, for the right college, for the right admittance, for the right healing when there's going to be healing, for the comfort when there's not going to be healing. God is always right on time. Jesus Christ is never late in our life. The Holy Spirit never comes late in our life. And that's why the Bible tells us to wait upon the Lord. And those that wait upon the Lord will not lose strength, but they shall mount up with wings like an eagle, and they will run and not grow weary. That's the heart of the Lord. And sometimes that waiting process for the promises is so critical to make us ready for the fullness of the promises. And we might say, oh, Lord, that Ishmael would stand before you. And God's like, no, it's not Ishmael. I'm going to be right on time. At the set time, 
there's a set time when you and I are going to step into eternity. And essentially, as you walk in the will of the Lord, you're unstoppable. We've been talking about that as well. You're like David charging Goliath. You're simply unstoppable in God's will. As we abide in the Lord and we seek to be faithful in things he has for us, we're, we're, we're going there. But there's a set time. David said in Psalm 139, the days were fashioned for him when it was yet there was none of them, but they're fashioned for us. And like sand in an hourglass, we know what's beneath us, but we don't know what's above us. But the sense that time does have an ending, that time is not guaranteed. Because the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises in our life is when we stare down the grave and we hear the words of Jesus saying to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall live forevermore. And we're just going to whisper or moan or nod our head or raise our hand. But like Mary and Martha, we're going to say, yes, Lord, I believe. We might give a, we might give a shout, too. You just don't know. But I've said this many times, that our greatest moment of faith is when we breathe our last because that's the payoff. God ensures that of all of his promises to us, that we let him work in and through our life as we obey him and trust him and live for him. Of all the promises, the payoff promise is when he comes for us as the good shepherd to take us through the valley of shadow of death. And for some of us, we think, well, that's way down the road. And it might be. But it's always right around the corner. It's always right around the corner. Because of all the times it's right on time is your last breath. And when all the promises come to head and the payoff is for you, it's on your last breath. So don't think that you've missed the promises. Don't think that your best day of serving the Lord is behind you. Don't think that the greatest steps of faith are behind you. No, I'm telling you, your greatest step of faith is your last breath. And it's, it's just believing in Jesus for who he is. It's not a doing. It's not a doing. It's a believing. It's a believing. Like when Melissa Henning Camp got off her deathbed from cancer out of her coma and said to her husband, Jeremy Camp, I am healed. She didn't earn that testimony. She simply declared it when Jesus came for her in that hospital room so many years ago in San Diego. And I am an eyewitness of that moment. But until we have that last day, that appointed day, where our faith and the promises are at maximum level, we have this journey. And maybe we got the job, maybe we didn't get the job. Maybe we got the promotion, maybe we didn't get the promotion. Maybe you're way more qualified than someone else, but they get the promotion because grandpa's the boss or something. Or there are so many injustices. You know, just having finished Proverbs in my morning devotion this last month, I read a proverb chapter a day, just finished it up yesterday. Man, God says a lot about justice and injustices in Proverbs as well as his law. There's just a lot of injustice. There's a lot of things that are unfair. Just make sure you're the person that is, stands up for truth, justice, and righteousness, and what's good. But don't lose heart on the promises. Don't give up on the promises. Don't think the promises aren't there for you, because they are there for you. God is faithful. And in the set time, they come to pass. His prayer, his answer to our prayers is yes, no, or wait. So what we're really talking about here is Yes and wait. 
Because no promise truly is a no. He might say no to things. It's a permanent no. And that's good for you. Promises are yes and amen. So we shouldn't lose heart because things haven't gone. Because we've been doing the right thing. It doesn't work out. Look at Joseph in Egypt. He did the right thing in forgiving his brothers. Then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. And he still does the right thing. In the prison for two years, he's forgotten after he interprets the dream of, of the butler. And in one day, he went from the prison to the palace. In one day, he went from being like the steward of the prison to being the number two man in Egypt with the signet ring of Pharaoh. In the appointed time, look what Joseph had to go through to be ready to be entrusted with that power of that signet ring in that ancient empire of Egypt. What he had to be able to forgive people of. What he had to learn about administration and justice and faithfulness. And then with much like Abraham and Sarah with no reason to believe it's ever going to change. And one day he gets the call up to the palace. And he's the second in command. And he saves the nation of Egypt. He pleases his boss. And he saves his own nation of people, the Hebrews. God's always right on time. And if he's saying wait, wait on the Lord. Then we also see Abraham's obedience, which would be easy to overlook, but in the context here, I think it's really important to consider it. He called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And that's what he's told to call him. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. In thinking about being entrusted with great promises and a legacy of a great life of faith and amazing things, that Abraham is for all humanity and particularly those of faith in Jesus Christ. And he's going to be tested next week. In Genesis 22, we've got the big test coming, Abraham and Isaac. It's coming. It's like a mountaintop we're moving toward. But what I like about this simple verse here in the middle of this little section here is that he did what was obvious. He called his son Isaac he gave him the name he's supposed to, much like John the Baptist. His name is John. Remember he wrote it? His name is John. Oh, why don't we call him a different name? His name is John. And he called him Isaac, and he circumcised him on the eighth day. Here's the point. In the most basic acts of obedience, he did exactly what he knew to do, that God wanted him to do, in the situation. Now, the son of promise is God bringing about. Obviously, he had intimacy with his wife, and that was part of the plan, unlike the virgin birth uh, and all that with Mary. But they've been trying to come together to have a child for decades. But really, to see this, this record of simple obedience, he called the son we're supposed to be called, and he circumcised on the eighth day. Like, well, of course he did. That's what we all do. It's almost like if you're a good Christian, you go to church. You know, you, you put something in the offering basket. Uh, you pray for missionaries. Like, yeah, but like sometimes people don't do what's really obvious to do. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they forsake the assembly of the brethren. They don't fellowship. They don't trust God with their finances. They don't share their faith. There's a lot of things that naturally happen with Christians abiding in Christ that don't happen in a lot of people's lives who say they're Christians. They don't forgive. There's a lot of Christians who don't forgive other people. There's a lot of people confessing Christ that don't obey Christ. And that's why Jesus said, you don't come to me and say, Lord, Lord. I'll say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
There's lots of people confessing Jesus Christ in the world, but do we see the heart for the Lord? Do we see the hunger for his word? Do we see the faithfulness of the gospel? Do we see the integrity of his word? Do we see fellowship? Do we see uh, forgiveness? Do we see love? Do we see grace? Do we see mercy? Because those are things that are the obvious basic things that God would work in our life as we give our hearts to Christ. I mean, they got saved on the day of Pentecost, and then immediately they were, they were gathering the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. So sometimes the most obvious things that God would have for us as people of promise, we don't see them at all. We see convenient Christianity or self-serving Christianity. Christ didn't die on the cross for convenience, and he sure didn't rise from the grave for self-serving. The resurrected Jesus Christ is a death sentence in our flesh and our pride to stir us for the things of the kingdom. As an example, a servant's not greater than his master. So Abraham doing these things, calling Isaac Isaac and circumcising on the eighth day, it reminds us that what we know what to do when we're waiting on the Lord, we should do. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.